0: We have a great show for you this week. Brennan will start by talking the ever fascinating topic, particularly for the average investor of yield curves. But seriously, as fear grows over a wobbly economy, talk of the yield curve, especially when it becomes inverted, grows, because it has often been seen as a chief predictor of a recession. Brennan will let you know his take on the yield curve and how it might be predictive of what is to come for the markets over the next 12 months. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, I will answer a viewer question on Corp. symbol VHI on the TSX, a software consolidator focused on the healthcare vertical. Its primary products include EMR, or electronic medical records, and patient flow solutions. In a weaker small cap tech market, the viewer asks us if the company's results are flying under the radar and if the stock may be a long-term opportunity. Brett will answer a viewer question on Nuvi Corporation, symbol NVEI on the TSX, which has answered which he has answered two questions about on past shows. The company is a provider of payment solutions to merchants and partners. The stock is down 37% year to date and about 87% from its pandemic high. The company just issued lower guidance, which hit the stock hard. And Brett lets you know if the drop makes Ryan Reynolds' favorite stock a buy, sell, or just avoid. So let's get to the show. My co-hosts, I'm going to welcome Brett and Brennan, the Killer Bees. Aaron is on assignment; he's not around today. But uh, you, you two are here. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing I well. Good. Yeah, you're just back from a big holiday yourself. Hey, how I was did.
0: It? I, I am. I, I was in. Uh, kind of. A, a, I was on a Scandinavian adventure of sorts. So we traveled. Tour. through. Yes. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Castle tour, <laughs> castle. Oh god, yeah, yeah. Castle uh, tour. I still yeah, I'll remember get that into that in a second, time, but yeah. yeah, Denmark, Norway, Sweden. We saw tons of fjords, some more fjords and uh, castles, endless castles. It, it was actually, it was actually good times. It's a beautiful area of the world. I have some highlights of my trip. If you guys want to hear them, do you really want to hear them? You're gonna anyway. So, what what I what I saw was. Um, bicycles everywhere in these scandinavian countries uh it was shocking in copenhagen where we stayed for a while um 50 of the population bikes to work which is really amazing it's kind of inspiring they're 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 a fit people over there i believe it, it, it's it, it's different from like i go to a conference in vegas and it's a different type of people and then you go to copenhagen and they're you know 50 percent of the workforce is going uh by bike to work it's pretty impressive uh they they're really seriously moving on those bikes and they, they have like, like obviously you have the road then you have your uh bike lane separated from the um pedestrian lane and it's just like a uh you know a painted line on the road so if you don't if you don't waver over into that bike lane or you're gonna get clipped you're gonna get hammered so uh, i was holding uh, my daughter's hand the whole time because she tends to meander around and so do I. So I was trying to, you have to remind yourself, do not go over there. So I know it was, it was, it was interesting in that respect. Number two, we went to Tivoli Gardens, which is Copenhagen's answer to Disneyland. Um, it's not really, but I mean, Disneyland's more way more exp- uh, expansive. But uh, Walt Disney did actually take inspiration from this 180-year-old park to build Disneyland. So that was pretty cool. Uh, we also saw Rick Astley in concert there, and that was by chance. Uh, and Brennan's been singing Never Gonna Give You Up, Never Gonna Blah, 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 right all around the office ever since. Have you not? It's a classic. I have, you have I a mean, tie was, into that though. Too, I was don't telling you, yeah, that's
1: mm-hmm. uh, that's my parents' wedding videos, uh, song, song that's, t- that's yeah, tied yeah, yeah. into it. Yeah. So, yeah, me and my sister growing up watching my parents get married, uh, that, that was the tune. Well, yeah.
0: it's crazy because it's, he's become like an internet sensation <laughs> decades later after he, you know, had this singing career, right? And, and and it was, there was, like, the crowd there, I thought they'd all be older, right? I mean, it is an yeah. amusement park, so there's some younger, but it was, a, like, Saturday or Friday night, I think it maybe be a, yeah, Saturday, Friday night, and they have the Friday night rock concerts there at the Tivoli, and it was packed with, like, Sixteen, fifteen, and year olds, and like I swear, they all they were doing is play the song, play the song. Like I don't think they knew anything else from the <laughs> repertoire of Rick Astley. But it's like you know, it, he became that. What is, what is it was called being Rick? Rick Ruled? rolled. Rick rolled. rolled.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Rick, yeah, Rick rolled. Rolled, Right. So I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just like you'd be. I remember you'd be listening to a song on YouTube or watching a video, and then boom, and you saw that you really wanted and never gonna give you would come on right, and yeah. and so we just we waited till he sung that, and it was pretty hilarious to be honest. Uh, at Norway, we went to a zoo, zoo like game farm slash amusement park slash water park, which was like three in one. It was really quite awesome. The I mean, they had this exhibit where you could uh, walk with lemurs right like uh and brennan's favorite show zuboomafu was a <laughs> with, with a, a lemur or something with the krat brothers or whatever they're called but it's funny because my daughter watches that now but i'm digressing from anyways it was cool it was cool to see and you could walk with them the last thing um there was countless castles as brett pointed out uh you know many were quite cool back to the 1200s so you know amazing history there but for me, after I see my fifty-second castle, my eyes do start to glaze over, and I think we we're at castle number fifty-two. And I believe my daughter asked me to look at the chairs in one of the rooms, and i seen a lot of chairs, right? And and I was less than enthused at that point. And she insisted that I would like it, so of course I went with her. Um, Brett can put up an image right now of this chair. It's a very ornate chair, and this in one of the most ornate old castles that we were been through um but typically as is the case my daughter was correct the chair did really speak to me and and if you see here it was known as the trouser wedding chair and no word of a lie it's back dates back to 1673 i'm gonna read some of the info that was on the plaque because of course i took a picture of it it was one of the only pictures i took of these castles but uh it says the trouser wedding chair from 1673 the trouser wedding chair they say is a bit of a mystery. We are not sure exactly how it was used or what it was supposed to. Who was supposed to sit in it and have their trousers wetted? But perhaps it was used as an entertaining prank at royal parties in the 17th century. And I picture this happening, you know, at a party in the 17th century, someone new to the castle comes through and I'll tell you how the chair works. And this was no word of a lie. They had five points below it here. Everything's really official and royal there. And then there's this chair sticking out. So number one would be ahead of time. The water tank on the back of the chair is filled up with water. Number two, the guest sits down in the chair. Number three, when the guest sits down in the chair, a pipe hidden in the back makes it fart noise. Like seriously. <laughs> this happens at the same time, a pair of arms shoot out. And grab the chest around the belly. And you could see like these arms that do, they're metal arms. You, you are imprisoned in that chair. And a valve at the back of the tank is now open by pulling a ring on the side. And the water flows in the armrest and squirts onto the seat. So it wets the guest trousers. That's what it says for your pants. And a small spout makes it sound as if the guest is peeing in a chamber's pot. So finally, when another ring is pulled, the water flows out under the seat, making it look like the guest has made a puddle on the floor. So that's what they were doing at these uh, very official parties. That's, uh, it, it, that's
1: the equivalent of getting Rick rolled back in the, uh, the 1600s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's true. It's true. But this, I mean, honestly, it was it's, it's hilarious. I, I thought it was, you would uh, love funny that. And, it, and it, I did love it. And after four hours in that castle, that made my day. I have to say. But all right. Yeah. Anything else you guys got Aaron? Where is Aaron? Let me tell you, he has, um, once again, packed up the family. Uh, I think they got into what his Winnebago. That's the way I picture yep. it. Jamming the family. He's making a pigri- pilgrimage to the wonderful world of Disney. Never fear. He'll be back next week with his Mickey ears and his wallet a lot lighter. <laughs> having been pillaged, I'm sure by the, um, happiest place on earth. I was there last fall and, uh, it just keeps getting more expensive. It's a cool place, but holy crap! That's why Disney, you know, could be a good stock long term. And finally, let's talk about stocks, right? Let's let's do that. Um, Brennan, you wanted to talk about the yield curve. So yes, um, Aaron has discussed, you know,
1: the yield curve in February of this year due to the U.S. Treasury yield curve going inverted. Um, but seeing that the yield curve continues to be inverted and is currently at its lowest level since 1981, and also that uh, Brett and I are studying, uh, you know, the yield curve in the Level Three CFA, uh, I thought that I would go into uh, what this means and explain how the yield curve has historically performed in relation uh, to the business cycle. So, what is the yield curve? I'll go over this quickly because again, Aaron did touch on this. So, the yield curve shows the relationship between bond yields and maturities. So. Generally, shorter-term yields tend to represent what investors believe will happen to central bank policies in the near future, whereas longer-dated maturities represent investors' guess at where inflation, growth, and interest rates are headed over the medium to long-term. And we call this the term premium. So the reason the yield curve tends to be upward sloping is because long-term bond investors are being compensated with this term premium for the greater uncertainty of growth and inflation risk of holding a bond long-term. And I have taken the U.S. Treasury yield curve here uh, from February of 2017 to show you what a normal upward sloping yield curve looks like. So as you can see here, the shorter the maturity of the bond, uh, more on the left-hand side here, Um, the lower the interest rate. And when we get all the way up to the 10 to 30-year bonds, they have yields at about 2.5% to just over 3%. Um, However, in 2023, we have seen this normal sloping yield curve go inverted. And here is a nice visual representation from Kara McDaniel Economics on YouTube to show you how the yield curve has fluctuated since February of 2017.
0: This is thrilling.
1: I love it. But it's just <laughs> well, a good visual re- So Can visual you describe to them
0: what's happening?
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is a good point. For anyone who's listening, essentially we're watching the yield curve <laughs> once we get through Ryan's laughing. Sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. It's great. Um, but yes, what we're seeing basically here is just each month, um, basically the yield curve shifting where eventually we're seeing the shorter term rates increased to where they're at about, you know, four and a half percent. And this is, I guess, uh, as of February 10th of 2023. And the longer maturities are actually lower than the short ma- short term maturities. And they're at about, you know, 4%. Um, so the yield curve has gone inverted uh, as bond investors are demanding a premium for short term bonds, and that long-term investors are likely anticipating inflation and long-term rates to decline as the economy slows due to short-term rates being elevated. And just for a more up-to-date picture, as of Monday, uh, August 14th, this is what the yield curve looks like. It is still inverted. And of course, like Ryan was saying in the intro, in the finance industry, the inverted yield curve is generally seen as an indicator of a coming recession over the next six months. To a year. So, I thought that it would be beneficial to look at how the yield curve generally acts in relation to the business cycle. So, let's get your laughs before, but uh, I made this beautiful drawing that uh, essentially shows the business cycle. So, as you can see here, we're going up to basically a peak and then we go down into a trough. Um, again, I'm not an artist, but uh, it is a good visual representation. So starting at the left from the peak, at the peak of a cycle, the yield curve tends to be flat or inverted because the economy is ripping. You know, that's a classic Saskatchewan term, ripping. (laughs) And inflation begins to become an issue, leading central banks to raise short-term rates and long-term bond investors begin to anticipate for growth, inflation, and interest rates to decline. Now, moving to the right, as the economy begins to go into a contraction, Central banks begin to decrease short-term rates as inflation subsides from the economy slowing, so the yield curve begins to steepen, essentially. Now, at the trough of the cycle, the yield curve becomes, becomes very steep because inflation is quite low and the central banks have interest rates very low to help stimulate the economy out of the downturn. And as we go back up the cycle into the recovery and up cycle, the yield curve tends to flatten as the economy again heats up or starts to rip and inflation increases and the central bank increases short term interest rates. So that's just kind of a visual representation here. However, there has been a lot of debate on whether the yield curve is still a good predictor of the business cycle, as we have seen an inverted yield curve in unison with continued strong economic data. And even recently, several analysts have been debating that this time it is different, with Goldman Sachs indicating uh, it's different because the term premium is well below its long-term average. Or in other words, investors are not being compensated for the risk of holding long-term bonds. So it takes fewer expected rate cuts to invert the curve. And they also argue that as inflation cools, it opens a possible path to the Federal Reserve easing up on interest rates without triggering a recession. And others argue that the yield curve is simply just being overly pessimistic And these expectations are priced into the yield curve, especially those long-term rates. So are we headed for a recession? Who's to say? You know, an inverted yield curve has given false signals in the past. But regardless, as an investor, understanding how the yield curve has generally acted in relation to the business cycle is certainly a good piece of information to know, especially for asset allocation, as you're looking between, you know, bonds in your portfolio uh, or you know equities um so yeah i will uh open it up to you guys there's more of a you know an educational section uh section and just to you know put the yield curve in relation to the business cycle
0: yeah for Great sure drawing. and a lot of ripping which and is thanks for saying that
1: i've got a nice drawing
0: yes oh it's, it's very nice um, i was
1: actually trying to like look for an actual image that i could just pop up you know to show sometimes something you got to
0: create it yourself right you gotta so i had to that. create it well myself done. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I do think we came from such an extraordinary period, historic low rates, then like a historic rate of increase in inflation. Yep. Uh, it's such a strange period that there may be some false signals out there, but I mean, the inversion of the yield curve, I think I'd looked up since 1978, the yield curve has inverted six times, not counting the current inversion period. And has pre- this has preceded a recession each time. Yep. So, I mean, it has been a pretty reliable predictor. Um, I do think that, you know, is it different this time is something you hear a lot. And a lot of the time it doesn't end up being different. Um, People wish it to be different. So they're making up arguments to frame around the way they'd like to see the world go. Um, You know, at some point, you know, you have higher rates. People are feeling a squeeze. Uh, A recession does feel like, you know, it could be in the cards at some point. So I mean, that's the way I would see it. Um, I think people have to stop spending. I think the economy has to cool down. Um, This doesn't mean there isn't some tremendous opportunities in the market, there will be. But, um, you know, I think it would be a healthy thing. I think we haven't had uh, enough, um, you know, enough of a pullback in some areas and focus on cash flow and focus on your own balance sheet in the home. So people could do that. And it may lead to a period of less economic growth, but that's okay. It's not the end of the world if that happens. So, yeah, And and we'll see if this predicts uh, a recession correctly this time.
2: Yeah. Um, a quick uh, related tangent is um, Bill Ackman, he actually uh, made headlines for shorting a 30-year-old bond uh, last week. So effectively what he is saying, because all fixed income really, is based on the yield curve. You need to understand it. You need to understand the movement for fixed income investing, especially once you're getting into these more elaborate uh, uh, trades and positions. So what he is saying is the 30-year bond, it will decrease in price. So on the yield curve, that means an increased yield price. And that's how it would uninvert. is it would be the 30-year bonds and that'd be the 20 and the 10, which are even more, the 10 years normally the more common benchmark, uh, would start to rise in, Yield, which would uninvert the yield curve. So you'd have effectively a static, maybe slightly lower, your one to two years. And then the 30 year, it goes back up. And that's how he would make his money. So he is sorting bonds, but that means he's effectively saying he believes yields are going to rise. And he's, the uh, background behind this is he says inflation is higher for longer. And that's the thesis behind that sort of trade. And I've seen a couple other similar uh, trading theses around. If you've seen any of those online, that's the reason behind it.
1: Yeah, and that even goes into relation with just what I was saying about Goldman Sachs. So Goldman Sachs, again, was indicating that the term premium on the long term maturities is smaller than usual. So if all of a sudden that term premium is going to increase and go back to, you know, what we've historically seen, rates should increase, uh, which would also, you know, give them some some profits again, if this is the way that it plays out. Um, But yeah, that's a good, good point. Uh, Brett, that yeah, Bill, Ma- Bill Ackman, I did recently see that in the news. And uh, just a good job to explaining, you know, uh, what sh- being short bonds actually means. You're expecting rates to increase.
0: Yes, good point. Both of you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's move on. Let's look at a question on, I don't know. Let's move on a question on, uh, uh, we got a question on VitalHub. It's a company we've talked about in the past. We've interviewed management in person at a couple events. Uh, we find the management team to be competent. Um, and uh, I'm just going to go into it. Symbol is V, <laughs> excuse me, HI. I'm a little under the weather. I'm trying to fight through this today. So anyways, Vital Hub Corp, symbol VHI on the TSX. Price is 270. Market cap $117.78 million. A description of the company, Vital Hub is a software consolidator focused on the healthcare vertical, primarily uh, in the electronic medical records and patient flow solutions area. But the technology is provided to health and human service providers, including hospitals, regional health authorities, mental health, long-term care, home health, communities, and social services. Uh, The company has a two-pronged approach, essentially, to its growth strategy, targeting organic growth opportunities within its product suite and pursuing an aggressive M&A plan. Currently, Vitalhab has more than 1,000 clients across Canada, the US, the UK, Australia, the Middle East, and Europe. So let's look at the company's most recent financial results. Its second quarter 2023, revenues increased a healthy 38% to $13.08 million. EBITDA rose to 1.97 million from 1.02 million in Q2 2022. Adjusted EBITDA rose to 2.97 million or 23% of revenue compared to 1.87 million or 20% of revenue in the same period last year. The increase was primarily attributed to higher recurring revenues, which is a good thing. Net income before income taxes rose to 742,000 up from a net loss or basically break even over the same period in Q2 of 2022. The increase here was primarily attributed to significant increase in revenues from organic growth and acquisitions and lower expenses as a percentage of sales. Uh, EPS was $0.02 per share from basically break even or nil in 2022. So what are the valuations on the company right now? Uh, well, the PE is high, but if you look at the company on a uh, EV to EBITDA basis or just an EBITDA basis, it is net cash. Uh, the company is about seven times fiscal 2024 uh, EBITDA versus some of the software consolidators out there that trade at 12 to 14 times. Albeit, they are uh, many of them are much larger entities than VitalHub. Our take here. Historically, VitalHub has funded its acquisition strategy via equity financings or selling shares, has tried to walk a tightrope, creating accretion to cash flow per share in the face of share dilution. I would remind viewers that the company has once consolidated its shares as its aggressive acquisition strategy led to a high share count, uh, depressed share price, and it was forced basically to consolidate and continue its acquisition strategy via issuing shares. Now, our question here is: Has Vital Hub now reached a critical mass point whereby its free cash flow production can be recycled into strategic and accretive m and There are estimates this year for free cash flow to be in the range of 10 million. So, the balance sheet from some financings and now positive cash flow. The balance sheet remains well capitalized with about 20 million in net cash they have access to 27 million in an undrawn drawn bank revolver. All of this is to continue their M&A strategy. Management stated that VitalHub continues to see solid deal flow across tuck-in and larger transactions with the larger transactions being more preferred. The stock trades in around 9.3 times 2023 expected free cash flow. Which is not a bad multiple if organic growth can maintain its current range. The current range is about 4%. Um, but we'd prefer it to increase to the higher single digit range to be the most attractive. Now, of course, it was well beyond that, it'd be more attractive, but that would be a reasonable rate. Now we see potential in Vital Hub and continue to monitor it. We likely interview management once again in the near term. Right now we're on the sidelines, but you know, it is interesting. After that quarter, and the fact that it is generating some free cash flow and has that solid balance sheet. And if they, and what I would like to see from this company is unless they're trading at a premium valuation, don't issue more shares. Just pick off uh, opportune acquisitions at reasonable prices to grow via acquisitions, continue organic growth, and use that free cash flow generation. Maybe grow at a little slower rate if you have to. But don't uh, issue many shares unless you are starting to trade at very premium valuations, because it is difficult to be accretive if you keep issuing shares over time. So I, it's an interesting business. And I, I do think that um, there is a significant recurring nature to the business now. And if the free cash flow continues, um, you know, it, it could be a situation that we uh, want to dig into once again a little further.
1: Yeah, I was just reading on a bullboard someone uh comparing uh Vital Hub to uh Relic Health, which I've uh discussed before. So maybe next podcast I'll uh, I'll do an update on Relic and uh just tie it in and compare the two. Um Vital Hub and uh yeah, Relic.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully you read the bullboard to us too, because those are always insightful comments <laughs> no, that you no. see on there, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, it, it's interesting to see from a variety of sources what everybody is saying about an individual stock. And we'll never turn anything aside. We'll read it. It may be complete garbage to us. Like, as an aside, when we're looking at a company, doing research on it, potentially recommending it to our clients, uh, we always ask the companies to send us off. What are your, you know, if you have any coverage, some of the companies we recommend have none. Some of them have 10 analysts following them. Send them off. We'll read them because it's always good to consume as much information as possible about the companies you're looking to invest in. Uh, Some of them are rosy and some of them are more reasonable in terms of those reports. But, you know, any source can be a good source. It just has to be vetted properly and know where they're coming from. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, Brennan, you've done yours. I think Brett then that leaves. Where's Aaron? Where the hell did he go? That's well. Brett's got a uh, segment on newbie which um you've was it you that talked about twice or just we've reviewed twice
2: uh i talked about it once and then i think aaron I talked about it no oh. aaron talked about it after um ryan reynolds did his initial yes, okay. promotion yes, yes,
0: yes. yeah well we um but on, on ryan reynolds so we'll see if his uh, investment prowess which in some other areas in the non-public markets has been uh you know, has been quite good, quite astute. I mean, he's used his social media following to to grow some other businesses. But in, from this respect, let's see if he uh, picked a good uh, company in Nuve here. I mean, he yes. probably just got paid to talk about it anyway, so what does yeah. he care? Yeah.
2: But, yeah, we, we've had a couple questions come in on Nuve again. We've done a couple previous segments, like we said, and it's been in the spotlight again, so it's a good time to look at it. Nuve Corp. if you're unaware, is a provider of payment technology solutions to merchants and partners. The solutions provided are mobile payments, online payments, and in-store payments. The stock currently trades under the symbol NVEI at roughly 22 Canadian on the TSX and 1631 US on the NASDAQ. It is roughly down 37% year to date, and that's down 87% from its pandemic high. When I last did a segment on Nuve in March, the stock was about $56, so it's dropped roughly 65 50- or 60% since then so really what has changed so leading up to our initial talk on Nuve at the start of the year reported as Q4 and fiscal 22 earnings which caused the shares to jump but since then it has two major overnight declines following both the Q1 and Q2 earnings Q2 caused the stock to fall about roughly 40% overnight last week just by looking at the price nothing else we can really assume the market was just unimpressed by the earnings. Of course, we want to look into the reason because the market can overreact or unreact to certain metrics or just overlook or really rely on something which they shouldn't. As well as just a bit of an aside, Ryan Renault's promotion of the company took place in April, which just shows you can't jump into a stock because a promoter says you should. So looking at the Q2 earnings, which were reported last week, Total payment transactions increased by 68%, but only 23% of that was organic as the company conducted its acquisition of PAYA earlier this year. The transaction volume increase led to increased revenue of 45% to $307 million, of which 20% of that was organic and wasn't related to cryptocurrencies. However... Gap net income fell substantially to $11.6 million from 35.1 last year, and non-gap income, which notably removes share compensation and acquisition-related expenses, still fell 22% to $58.1 million from $74.7 million. As well, adjusted EBITDA did, however, increase by 19% to $110.3 million. However, as the company took on significant debt with its acquisition of PAYA, it went from interest income. To significant interest expense, which of course is removed from EBITDA, which is why you have EBITDA growth while net income shrunk. So, year over year, EBITDA really, EBITDA growth, I should say, isn't really a quality metric in this case, as it has a, had a structural debt change where you realize much of the benefits by acquiring payer, you get that operating income, but you don't really realize the associated financial costs, which isn't included in EBITDA. So, it doesn't really create a strong. Uh, picture of understanding that company's actual operation, which is the main selling point of EBITDA. Going forward, it will be better as the structure obviously isn't changing substantially quarter over quarter. It's just this one time shift. You can't really look at just this growth and say, oh, it's growing 19%. There's a lot more that goes into it. So overall, the quarter just really was not great with growing revenue, which is expected at the current valuations, But shrinking income is ultimately what matters because you're relying on the bottom line at the end of the day not just the top-line growth. However, moving to the guidance, the company has lowered expectations across the board, stating that their previous growth expectations were just too aggressive and that implementation will take time. As well, they lost a large customer during the quarter. The result is revenue growth is now expected to be between 16 and 20% for fiscal 2023. The resulting adjusted EBITDA was lowered to a force 117 million to 432 million. Previously, it was 456 to 477. So that's a 9% drop in their guidance between the two quarters. That is concerning when the company's valuation is almost purely relying on growth at this time. The company does have long term targets of 15 to 20% annual revenue growth and 50% adjusted EBITDA margin, but is just well off at that at this time. It's at about 36%. So if they are able to hit Those margin expansions specifically, that could be of nice value add, but this latest guidance decrease really puts that target into question in the long-term even. So a quick look at valuations. The company's gap PE is an absurd 122 times, making it effectively meaningless. Non-gap PE, trailing PE is much more reasonable at nine times. Remember that removes significant costs from the share compensation as well as the restructuring. And I will add, They have an outstanding NCIB actively buying back shares, which is a bit of a personal pet peeve of mine, which I mentioned, I know, Brendan, about a dozen times when they remove the share comp, but then they're buying back shares. It's really just the same as paying higher salaries, which wouldn't be removed in this case, but I really digress. And lastly, (laughs) adjusted EV EBITDA is nine times on a trailing basis and off their midpoint outlook for the year. It's about eight times, significantly lower than when we last looked, but it's still not overtly cheap. So concluding, that is still a concern, but they are paying it down, but it needs to be actually watched, incorporated into the valuation, and that's why EV EBITDA is a better metric in this case compared to just PE. The decreased growth expectations are what routed the market, disillusioning many investors who were relying on high growth, and it being a high growth story, so you need to watch that. Is growth just going to disappear at this point? Is it going to pick back up? That's really the question the market has. And as well, Ryan Reynolds may be a great actor and. My opinion, but that does not mean he's a great investor. Don't follow celebrity investing advice or paid promoters in general, as you and Brendan last week with Vegano. And for now, I would just stay away from the stock. If the management is able to start hitting or at least moving towards its long-term target margin and while keeping out up at about 20 to 25% growth for the short term, then they're fifteen to twenty percent in the long term. The valuation could be more reasonable. But right now, it's just far off what you need to be into be investable when the management can't hit their own guidance so i'll open up to you guys if you had any comments
0: yeah i mean i would say love deadpool can't wait till the next deadpool comes out um but i'm probably not taking i like love ryan reynolds really vancouver icon to be honest um please buy the vancouver canucks that would be awesome (laughs) if you could do that but but um But uh, not taking the advice on in this specific situation on Nuve. And we said that earlier in the year at other valuations. So not just, you know, at this point, we've been saying that for quite a while. Not that it's the worst company out there. It's just um, the valuations uh, don't meet our criteria. And I think the point you made on uh, like the capital structure of the business is so different now from where it was year over year. And you look at adjusted EBITDA increasing uh, but they were in a net cash position at that point versus a significant net debt position now. So you look at EBITDA, well, you know, that, that's, it, it's, I mean, that's why you have EBITDA up 19%, but net income is down significantly because um, the, the interest expense wasn't even there. So yeah, no. it's just sometimes, it, you know, comparing that year over year, or comparing that in a business, uh, EBITDA, often isn't a great thing to look at, you know, and, and it's better to just look at cash flow because that's an actual expense. They have to pay their income, right? So removing, they too, have to pay their interest. Sorry. So removing that is. Yeah.
1: They initiated a dividend, which like yeah, that's a yeah, little yeah. weird to me too. You know, like, I think like going forward, the yield's like 1.8%, <laughs> you know, for a growth company. What is the yield? Know, sorry. What did you say? I think it's 1.8% going forward. I'm pretty sure. Like, because I think is, it went up. Because, yeah, it just it was $0.10 cents that they're doing. So, I mean, just times that by four. Uh, two and a half money. percent or so. Oh, okay, it's two and a half. Okay. Yeah, it went down um, the stock
2: has probably dropped since you looked at has it. Gone yeah, down.
1: Guess, That's why, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the um, issue.
1: So, yeah, I just find it weird, you know, a high growth name is all of a sudden, uh, you know, paying a dividend. Not that I'm, we we, we like dividends, obviously,
0: but. uh, Well, also that, you know, the significant leverage position, perhaps it's just better to pay off the debt at this point. And if, you know, it's been a growth position for growth business, um, you know, it's, uh, we don't mind. Like, I haven't looked into the dividend policy. Maybe it is based off of a certain amount of cash flow. And maybe the plan is to grow that dividend over time. But uh, often, you know, when we're advising some smaller companies, they'll ask us, do you think we should pay a dividend? Would you like us to pay a dividend? Uh, It's, you know, they're they're debt free or have really reasonable debt levels, uh, have enough growth capital to continue to grow the business with uh, what they're generating in free cash flow and what they have on the balance sheet. And then they're paying out uh, a a percentage of that as a dividend. Uh, In this case. You know it probably would be quite effective to pay off some of that debt instead of paying a dividend it does seem like a strange move it's certainly I the the miss and the lowering guidance probably was the most significant factors of the share price hit yeah. but I think investors may have been confused with the, the yeah. dividend paying at that point I doubt they sold it off 40 30 percent because of that but I think it is a confusing move by uh, a team that uh, you know isn't hitting it on all cylinders right now all right, I think that's uh, ending off the show. Did we have anything else you want to get out there? Do you guys miss Aaron? I sure no. do. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I love his mind. Oh, uh, that's enough. I love that's Dan. enough. Yeah. All right, keep keep your questions coming into our your stock our take segment. Uh, smash that subscribe button if you are viewing this on YouTube. Uh, Keep your questions, like, like I said, coming in. We'll answer those on a weekly basis. Rate and review us on iTunes, and we'll keep putting out this content on a weekly basis. Thank you, and as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thank you.